Amen. Turn with me tonight in your Bible to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. It's very easy to find. Just find Matthew chapter 1 and then go back and you'll come to Malachi. Um, We want to read Malachi chapter 1. Take the time tonight to read from the Holy Scriptures. Malachi chapter 1. Let's hear God's word. Reading, of course, as we've always sought to do from the authorized version. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down, and they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. If ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? If ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts. Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle fire in mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say, The table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it. And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? 
But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a meal and vileth and sacrifices unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and thy name is dreadful among the heathen. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text tonight is found in Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And my theme this evening is entitled, A Faithful Messenger Delivering a Fiery Message. Now years ago, Long before there was telephones and mobile phones and computers and emails, when someone wanted to get an urgent message to someone, they sent them a telegram. Now, a telegram was really an urgent message that was very short, one or two, maybe three short sentences, certainly no more. And it was usually hand-delivered, young people, by someone called a telegram boy. And if the telegram boy was at your door knocking with a letter in his hand, that letter would usually be yellow-colored around the border. And as you stood there with that uh, in his hand as you opened the door, um, you would have known that you were the recipient of bad news. You think of the First World War, 1914 to 1918, uh, many loved ones died in the war. News was brought to the families, by and large, using the telegram system. And uh, they were sorry, of course, to bear the sad tidings that your Jim or John or Joseph had been killed in action. And we think of the 5,500 that died at the Battle of the Somme on the 1st of July in 1916. This was sad news. This was heavy tidings for many homes. It was certainly hard to take. It had a solemn impact on people's hearts and lives. Well, let me tell you tonight, young people, that Malachi was like a telegram boy. He was the writer as well as the bearer of a letter to the land of Israel about 400 BC. Now, Malachi's not his real name. In fact, we don't know his real name. His identity is hidden. The name Malachi means a messenger. Malachi was a faithful messenger who delivered to Israel in 400 BC before Christ a very fervent yet fiery message to all who would listen to him in his day. Now, I was thinking during the week, especially on Wednesday, 17th of March, of our 70th anniversary. I was listening to Dr. William McRae in an interview on Wednesday night, the 17th of March, in the Martyrs Memorial. And he was asked by one of our young ministers, what type of ministers does the Free Presbyterian Church need? And that got me thinking. We need men to be faithful. Faithful to the blood in the book. Men who are faithful to the great fundamentals of the faith. Men who can say, here I stand, I can do none other, so help me God, amen. And those faithful men need to be fiery men. Certainly not men pleasers. 
Certainly not a preacher who tells people what they want to hear. It's a very easy thing to tickle people's ears. But a man of God should not be a man pleaser. He's a God pleaser. I remember hearing a story of a man who was called to a big church, 700 families. And a lady was talking to him in visitation. And she said to him, well, you're not going to please everybody here. He said, I've no intention. I'm not even going to try. Henry Truman said, he who tries to please everybody ends up pleasing nobody. I'm only going to please one person here. And of course, the lady was very inquisitive and she asked, well, well, who is that? And he says, dear, is it not obvious? I'm here to please the Lord. You see, God is at the center. And men of God labor to give an account to the Lord. And of course, men of God need to be fervent. Their whole heart must be in it. They're not in the church acting as the role of the pastor as a career. You see, it's not a career. It's a calling. We're not in it for the money or to make a name for ourselves or to have a position of power and influence. And I want to say tonight, not only to the Free Presbyterian Church on the 70th anniversary, but I want to say right across the board in Reformed and Evangelical circles, woe unto a church if a man's in the pulpit and, and he's only there because he feels it's a career and he's out to make money and a name and a position for himself because if that's what we become, then we'll not be passionate about the truth. But the man of God must be passionate about the truth. He must buy the truth and sell it not. You see, there's a spiritual battle for truth and righteousness that's ongoing at this time, even in Northern Ireland. And we need men in the pulpit whose heart is in it. We also need men to be fraternal. That is, we're catering for the whole family of God's people. The men, the women, the young men, the young women, and even catering for the children. How I love the children. And we want children to grow up in the church knowing that they're loved and needed and wanted. So a man of God has to be fraternal in that sense. He's reaching out to the whole of the family in the church. And of course, men who are fruitful. We're going to learn next Sunday morning in a very short, maybe 25-minute address, because I want to bring a children's address, on the theme, being fruitful unto every good work. And I want to say tonight, if you're praying for your pastor, even if you're not a free Presbyterian, but, but you have a godly pastor, then you pray for him, and this is what you should pray, that the Lord would make the pastor faithful, that the Lord would make the pastor fiery, that the Lord would make him fervent and, and fraternal and fruitful. Because only by that can a congregation of the Lord's people bring honor and glory to the Lord. Now you see, Malachi was such a messenger. He was faithful. He was fiery, fervent, fraternal. But he was also fruitful in the good work that God had given him to do. This was a message from God that Malachi had. It was delivered powerfully, personally, practically, passionately, but it was delivered painfully. Look, look at verse 1. It says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Think of the word burden. 
That's what I mean by painfully. This was a solemn message. He was delivering sad news to this people. This was a day of apostasy and religious declension and backsliding. He was thinking of the people who professed the name of the Lord and their conversation and their character and their conduct. And it affected him so much so that when the word of God came, it burdened his heart in a painful way. And notice what he says in verse 2. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. Now, as I was thinking of the message tonight, having listened to Dr. McRae, I was thinking of a faithful messenger delivering a fiery message. And here's just one part of that message. Notice the wonderful statement of fact that was delivered. Verse 2, I have loved you, saith the Lord. You've got to think of Jehovah, the true and living God. He is speaking. He is addressing his people. The children of Israel, of course, at this time are living back in their own land, the land of Israel. And God's messenger has a very precious, wonderful message for them. What is that message? I have loved you. Isn't that a wonderful and an amazing statement of fact? Jehovah, the living and true God, says to his people, I have loved you. I want to tell you tonight, that's a truthful statement. The same word can be addressed to sinners everywhere. It can be addressed to nobodies who are undeserving of God's love. See, I believe as I thought of these words, this is a truthful, sincere message from the lips of a holy God. He was professing, he was confessing his love for his own. Maybe you're listening to me now. And you're thinking and feeling in your heart and mind, nobody loves me. See, many in our world this evening feel such a sense of self-loathing. Feel such a, a sense of self-worth. Feel such a hatred of themselves. Many are full of woes and cares and worries and a wide range of issues. And they're full of this feeling. This thought dominates their thinking. Nobody loves me. Now, I want to tell you tonight, that's a lie. How do I know that's a lie? Will you think of this wonderful statement? I have loved you, saith the Lord. You see, you are an image bearer of God. You're unique and special tonight. God delights in you. God thinks the world of you. And God says to you tonight, I have loved you. I want you to grasp that. Listen to these words in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And listen to what the old apostle John says in 1 John 4 and verse 9 and 10. He says this, And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The verse 16 tells us God is love. Paul was taken up with the theme, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2 and 20. Now let's take these words to heart and mind. You see, no individual has the right to say, nobody loves me. Because there is one who does love you. And I want you to think as you discover that feeling of hatred of self in your heart, that feeling of self-loathing, that that feeling of uh, low um, esteem, there is one who loves you. Truly, genuinely, and deeply. Remember what we read in verses 8 of Romans 5. But God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, God loves us in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if I think of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 43 and 4 says, Since thou was precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. There it is again. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. You see, God loves us tonight in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's making it known. And there's no excuse for not taking it into our heart and mind. And I am aware the fear is real. And I am conscious that the anxiety and the fury, the, 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 the worry is real. And I'm aware that many are struggling with mental illnesses and bouts of depression. And, and, and many maybe even are verging towards suicide. I want to say tonight, you've forgotten what God says. Here's a truthful statement. A wonderful statement of fact that um, Malachi delivers. And it's this, I have loved you. Let me tell you something else about this. This is a very thoughtful statement. See, if you look at it, let's agree the context can be difficult to understand. There's a preacher came to Charles Haddon Spurgeon one time and he said, Reverend Spurgeon, I've got a problem, text. Spurgeon said, only one. And he said, yes, one text. What is it Spurgeon says? So he shared with them, well, it's Malachi chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3. And Spurgeon said, well, well, what's your problem with the text? And he says, I can't get my head around the words, and I hated Esau. Spurgeon says, well, look, I've got more than one problem text. Remember, he's the prince of Baptist preachers. And he says, that text, even though it's a problem text, is not a problem for me. He says, you must understand that God is holy and Esau is a depraved, sinful man. My problem is not with that. My problem is how could God choose to love Jacob? You see, this love is totally undeserved. Now, many question the use of the word hated. What does it mean? Well, we'll come to it in a little moment. You see, those who read and study the Bible know that there's a distinction in the love of God. Let me make it clear. God does not love everyone the same. He does have a love for all. But God doesn't love everyone the same. He doesn't love all the same way. He has a general love for all men. Because of the fact that they're created in God's image. But he has a special love for 
his own. You see, over there in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, and we read in verse um, 43 through to 48, we'll not read all of the passage in Matthew chapter 5. Um, this is what the Lord Jesus said. Um, Verse 45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise in the evil and the good, and sendeth rain in the just and in the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward of you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brother only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. What's he teaching there? He's teaching us about God's general love for all men. God makes us rain to shine in the evil and the good. He sends rain in the just and the unjust as a reference, you see, to his common grace, his general love for men. God has a general love for his enemies, and he bestows blessing on them. But listen to me carefully. God has a special, saving, sovereign love for his own elect people. A special, saving, sovereign love for his own children. Turn over there to Luke chapter 14. It's very important that you do that. Listen to verse 26. Luke 14, verse 26. The words will come up on the screen. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, now what does that mean? Again, you've got the word hate. Think of the reference, hate his father and mother. Well, is that not a violation of the fifth commandment, honor thy father and mother? You've got the words here, hate his wife. Can't be my disciple. Does the Bible not say in Ephesians 5, 25, husbands love your wives? Is, is there not a, a contradiction there? Let me make it clear. There's no contradictions in the Bible. The best interpreter of Scripture is the Scripture itself. That, that's a great hermeneutical principle that we learned through Dr. John Douglas in the Bible College many years ago. Now, let the Bible interpret itself. Think of that word hate. What does it mean? Malachi used it. Luke used it. Now look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. And here's the meaning of the words. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Matthew 10, verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. See, the question is to do with the fact that if we love someone more than we love Christ, with a real, strong, intense love. That's the meaning in Malachi. A true follower of Christ will love the Lord first and foremost. He loved the Lord more than anyone else, even his father, his mother, his wife, his, his children. It will be a love that's distinct. It will be a love that is unique in comparison to uh, other people in his life. In other words, he loved them less. And he will love the Lord more. I could say tonight, I love my wife and thank her for everything that she does. Um, getting up to make me coffee and putting out my clothes and doing all those things that wives do. Um, 
But my love to my wife is distinct. It's unique. It's a different degree than, than, than loving the sisters in the house of God here. I, I can say, well, I love all the children in the church. And I do. They have a special place in my heart. But, but that's distinct and different from the love that I have for my own children, those who are flesh and blood. My love for them has to far exceed the love for others. Do, do you see that? And that's what the Lord Jesus is saying. John Calvin said in his commentary that Malachi chapter 1 verse 2 speaks of God's love generally such as he shows to the whole human race. So there's a love for men generally, but there is a love that is specific, that's sovereign, that's singular, that's special. Jacob was chosen in love. There is a sovereignty in relation to the love of God. God says, Jeremiah 33 and 3, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Hosea 14, 4 says, I will love them freely without money and price. John 3 and 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's God's love personally. Take the word world out and put your own name in. Love sacrificially. Paul says, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, loved perpetually. John 13 and 1, having loved us only, loved them unto the end. Jacob's the second son. Esau was the firstborn. Jacob's a twister, a rebel, a deceiver, a schemer, a supplanter. There was nothing in Jacob's life that, that made him deserving of God's love. He, he was undeserved of that love. And yet God chose to set his love on him. Why? Because God chose to set his love upon him. And you see, there's nothing in you or me that caused the Lord to love us. He chose to love us. And here's how. Everlastingly, freely, per personally, sacrificially, perpetually. Chosen to be a special people unto the Lord. You see, it's a thoughtful statement. Also, very quickly, it's a timeless statement. Notice he says, I have loved you. It's not that I will in the future. It's not that I might or I may. I have. You see, God has loved Israel from before time began. As I've already said, it was everlasting. It's free. It's personal. It's sacrificial. It's perpetual. It's not going to decrease. It's not going to increase. It's not going to change. We'll never be separated from the love of God in Christ. God will not love us anymore tomorrow than he's done today. He'd not love us any less tomorrow than he does today. What a comfort. That should be a comfort to you, no matter what takes place in your life. No matter even if you lapse into coldness and carelessness. No matter if the circumstances of life leave you penniless or failing in health and you find it hard to think and hard to cope. Here's a timeless statement that's true. That's thought-provoking. That's timeless. I have loved you. Can I tell you something else that's a triumphant statement? Here we are in the last book of the Bible. The whole chapter, in fact, the whole of the book makes for Solomon's sad reading. God's people are sick. There's immorality, there's iniquity, there's idolatry, they're running after other gods, they're despising the truth, they're guilty of gross sins, guilty of errors of judgment in their heart and mind. They're being totally unfaithful to God. And what does God say to them? This backsliding people that's behaving badly. What does he say? I have loved you. And that's the message tonight. And if you're cold and careless and behaving badly and doing things that are wrong in the sight of God, God has a message. And here's the message. 
I have loved you, saith the Lord. You see, that's a wonderful statement of fact. Now, let me move on very quickly. I want you to think of a wicked statement of failure. Look at the text again. Yet ye say, here's the people's response to that now, wherein hast thou loved us? Isn't that sad? Isn't that strange? God's love is unappreciated. God's love is rejected. God's love is being unrecognized by the people. Listen to the people. Malachi is preaching. He has just uttered the most amazing statement of fact ever. And here's the response. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? In other words, this is an iniquity speaking. They're asking, where's the evidence? Where's the proof? Where's the sign? They're arguing with God. They're questioning his great love. As I've said, it's not appreciated. Now, if you read the book very carefully, seven times these words appear. Yet ye say, I can't preach them tonight. They're a sermon all in itself. You'll find it in chapter 1, verse 2. There's the first one. The second one's in chapter 1, verse 6. It's an illustration. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If I then be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name. And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? At chapter 1 and verse 7, ye have polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? Chapter 1, verse 12. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say, the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even as meat, is contemptible. And also, in chapter 2, verse 14, yet ye say, wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Chapter 2, verse 17. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, Wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, Every one that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or where is the God of judgment? And then chapter 3, verse 8 being the last one. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? Here's the answer. In tithes and offerings. You see, this was a complete and utter failure on their part, to comprehend the love of God, to consider it. It's a total lack of respect for God and his word. It's a very sinful, wicked, appalling, iniquitous statement to make. So it's an iniquitous statement. If we ask, wherein hast thou loved us? We could see in a negative sense, it's not only iniquitous, but it's insolent. Here's a question about fathers, question about masters. You teach your children to obey you as fathers. You expect the servants to obey you because they're your servants and you're the master. And if they don't obey you, you'd pour out your wrath upon them. So you teach your children to obey. You teach your servants to obey, to show honor and respect. Yet for me, you don't. That's, that's the argument. You see, it's insolent. It's also ignorance. Because it was easy for them to forget his general love for them. 
God had given them temporal blessings, material blessings, physical blessings, all a demonstration of his love. And I want to tell you tonight, every temporal, every physical, every material blessing is a demonstration of his love. Before you ever get to the cross, before you ever get to Christ. And then ignorant of his special love. And, and, and you think of when he says, I have loved you, it was always in the context of redemption. He brought them back to Egypt to the night when they were redeemed by the power of the precious blood. Yet they didn't return his love. It was unrequited love. And they showed not only their iniquitous mindset and their uh, insolent attitude and their ignorance of him, but they showed their ingratitude. God had sent them prophets. God had raised up preachers. And yet they despised those preachers. They, they rejected that message. They forgot all that God had done. Their base ingratitude. There's the wicked statement of failure. And we want to close tonight just with this thought. A willing statement of friendship. If we think of the words as we close, I have loved you. And we ask the question, if we were ever to take it up in our lips, wherein is thou loved us, then the Lord would point us to Calvary. Would he not tonight? Romans 5 verse 8, But God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In these great verses, 1 John 4, 9 and 10 that I've read, let me read them again. And this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent the son to be the propitiation for our sins. Paul, Galatians 2 and 20, the son of God who loved me gave himself for me. You see, the full extent of the love of God is demonstrated and revealed in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. And especially at Calvary, especially when we think of all that he endured for sinners. And we have to stand at the cross and think of the death and suffering of Christ and his blood shedding and realize here's a demonstration of the special, sovereign, splendid, singular love of God in Christ. And yet far too often it's unappreciated and unrecognized by thousands of individual sinners. We hear about it. We read about it in the book reading of the death and crucifixion but what impact does it has let me tell you this as we close I remember watching a film called Lassie Come Home it's a, it's a lovely film I would urge you to watch it it'll do you good but you know at the end of the film the falling down my face it impacted upon me emotionally there was a well of emotion there because Lassie had come home at the end I, I, I know those that listen to music, and, and I love music even though I can't sing, whether it's a choir singing or whether it's an opera playing. And you, you think of the, the impact that instrumental music can have. I, I could watch it on YouTube and, and, and watch grown men with tears rolling down their face. And even when we sing the hymns of Zion, it, it can have an impact upon us. Now, if a film can impact upon us, if music can impact upon us, think of these words. Think of the wonderful, precious love of Christ. Is it any wonder Isaac Watts says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And what would the Lord Jesus say to us from the cross? Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? See, see, men can walk past the cross. 
They can attempt to climb over it. They can attempt to spit in the face of Christ as if to say, there's what I think of you. It can have little or no impact. But this is a willing statement of friendship. God says, I have loved you. And where is it demonstrated? When we stand at the cross, we see the full extent of it that God chose us in Christ from all eternity. That God calls to us, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and be converted. That, 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 that God cleanses us through the precious blood. Isn't it wonderful to know the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin? That God changes us by his sovereign grace. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And all things are of God. That God cares for us. Do you know, three of the most precious words in the scriptures is God with us. You think of this as you finish. The Bible says the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? He's at your elbow. His companionship is real. The Lord is with us on the journey. Isn't it great to have someone with us? His presence to accompany us. You think of the excitement of a young fella at school and he's rushing home to get ready to go and see his girlfriend or a girlfriend going home to get dressed to go out and meet the boyfriend. What will I put on? The jeans... No, a dress, and then it's back to the jeans. And the, the bedroom is just a mass of clothes all pulled out. And she gets the hair done, and, and it gets a bit of makeup on. And, and, and she's all excited, you see. It's all about a love for a boy, or a boy's love for a girl. Well, that's what we're talking about tonight. You see, have we not lost the sense of that? Do, do we not recognize and appreciate what the Lord has done for us? His comfort on the journey. He's the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies. His chastening hand when we go astray. Why is chastening come? It's done in love. He carries us when we have no strength to carry on. He counsels us on the journey. He calls us home. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's all part of this. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Will you take this wonderful statement? A fact to your heart tonight? Will you see the wicked statement of failure in the hearts and minds of the children of Israel? How iniquitous it was. How insolent it was. How ignorant and ingratitude it betrayed. And will you go and stand at the cross and allow the wonderful, precious love of Christ to be revealed to you? And say with Paul, the son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. Can you say that tonight? Can you say it with a heart that's throbbing? Because you feel that love there. If you don't, we call you to repent. And we call you to receive Christ offered in the gospel.